as we're talking through the series is Into the Wilderness, that we started last week, and we're talking about sin. Because a lot of times we don't talk about sin. And we go to church and we're afraid to talk about it because it's going to offend people, and we want people just to kind of like be okay and be happy and get along. And so as long as we're not hurting anybody, it's kind of like we just say, sure, you know, just kind of do that quietly, and we're not going to say anything. But as we read Scripture, that's not what we hear. We don't hear God telling us that sin's okay as long as it's not hurting anybody because it always hurts someone. It meant so much to Jesus that he went to a cross to die for that sin. And so sin is a big deal. And so we're looking at this series because it's like, hey, we're living in a place where we need to know what sin is. We need to know how bad sin is. We need to know how destructive sin is for our lives. And we need to talk about it. And so we see Jesus as he went into the wilderness, into this desert place, and that's a passage we're going to look at tonight. He's tempted. The Son of God himself is tempted, and we're going to see how in this wilderness place that is dangerous, and there's no food or water, and he's like just out there surviving and alone. And how Satan comes up and is tempting him, we're going to see how he deals with that temptation. And so... This video was just like reminded me as I saw it that sometimes in order to battle sin in my mind, I think like we have to have these superpowers. Like Jesus was the son of God. So as Jesus was battling temptation, he's God himself, you know, so he has these like amazing powers to just say no to sin. And I don't have that. Or like the Apostle Paul, how strong and like incredibly like re- like spiritual this guy was and how close he was to God. And I look at myself and I'm like, I'm not like the Apostle Paul. He's kind of like got superpowers compared to me. And that video just reminded me that it's like, it's not about me. And we're going to see what it's about tonight. That there is a way that you and I, just normal people who are broken by sin, that Jesus made a way for each of us to battle sin. You don't have to wake up every day and just be like, today I'm going to be defeated by this sin that has a stronghold in my life. I just know it's going to happen. See, some of us think about those things as temptations that we have on a regular basis. That sin that frustrates you. That sin that keeps coming back and you keep trying to say no, but it, it beats you every time. After a while, we think about that and we're like, man, there's just no way. There's no way I'm ever going to beat this. And we almost live defeated before we've ever even done anything. Because we look and say, I'm just not capable. I don't have that super power to do this. But Jesus says, it's not super power that you need necessarily. It is supernatural what happens because it's the power of God in you. But there's something really cool that Jesus is going to show us that you and I can actually battle sin. And we can win. And you're like, wait, what is all this battling talk? You're saying, battling sin. I thought salvation was a free gift. It is a free gift. Jesus looks at you, and there's nothing that you've done to please God or to like show him that your behavior has changed, that he looked down and said, oh, Rob, you're so good, now I'm, now I'm going to save you. That just doesn't happen. Jesus looks down and says, I love you, and in the middle of your sin, I'm dying at a cross. And this gift is free, Rob. There's nothing you can do to earn it. But when I accept that free gift, he's done something in me that now allows me, it allows me to battle sin. Now I have the ability to wake up in the morning and go, sin, you're done today. I'm coming at you. I can actually do battle now and say that I can say no to sin. Whereas before I was just a slave to it. I had no choice. 
If you're here tonight and you're like, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in him and I trust in him with all my heart. I'm here to tell you tonight that you can look at sin and just tell it no, straighten its face. No. Because God's now giving you that power. I was, um, and my dad, I think I've told you guys a story before, but <clears throat> I can't remember. I'm getting old, so if I have, just laugh anyway, okay? Just pretend you haven't heard it. But my dad was helping me when I first bought my house. I moved back from Guatemala. I got a new house. And my dad's really handy, so he came over, and I was actually at work. And he spent the day at my house to, like, surprise me of some, like, work that he had done. And he was tiling my kitchen floor. And so he's there, and my mom told me, hey, by the way, your dad's at your house, so don't be surprised when you get home. So I'm driving home, and when I get there, my dad's, my dad's truck's gone. I'm like, he's not, he's not here. And so I walk up to the front door, and my mom had said for sure he was going to be there. And so my front door's wide open, but I don't see my dad, and the lights are all on. So weird. He must be around here. So I start walking in and looking around, and his tools are still everywhere. There's still a mess everywhere. And if you know my dad, that's not like him at all. He's like Mr. Clean Perfect, dude. So, like, stuff laying around? No, that doesn't happen with my dad. And so there's stuff everywhere. I'm like, he must be here. And as I walk around the corner to my kitchen, I see this awesome new tile, and uh, there's blood all over it. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Like, what happened to my dad? Did he, like, cut his arm off in the saw and, like, rush to the hospital? Did somebody come in here and kill him, and I'm going to find him in a room? Are they still in the house? Like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? I'm freaking out. I'm like, what's going to And so as I, like, look around, I'm, like, I'm like, getting nervous. Probably looked really weird at this point and awkward, but I'm, like, I'm like yelling, Dad, Dad. I'm, like, freaking out, and I'm walking around the house trying not to step in the blood, and then I look on the kitchen table, and I see my little, this, I was babysitting a fish. I know, it's weird. I know, it's weird. <clears throat> but somebody had given me a fish. It was one of those fighter fish, and I don't know. So it's sitting on my kitchen table, and I have like this, it's like a tall, weird table. So it's like sitting up there, and there was no fish in it. And I look down under the table, and I see this dead fish just like exploded. <laughs> just like laying there, and its little gills weren't moving. And so what happened was, I guess my dad had left, and just in a senior moment, left everything on. Um, and left the door open. I <laughs> know it's really weird, but, and the fish jumped out of its little tank thing, its little bowl, and exploded all over my tile floor. And then it flapped around, you know how fish do. So it just sprayed blood all over my white tile. And it was actually, it wasn't my dad, he was fine. He, I was like, what'd you do, man? He's like, your fish committed suicide. So I had to have that awkward call to my friend, like, you know, your fish, guppy, or whatever it was. He's like, yeah, I'm so sorry. It just killed itself. So anyway, so I'm looking and I'm like, fish, you're stupid. <laughs> like, you're the dumbest fish I've ever met. I don't know why they cared so much about you because you literally jumped out of your home. Don't you like your home, fish? You know, like, why would you do this? It, when I think about survival skills, I don't think about that fish. <laughs> you know, like, that's not something where you'd say that's one really wise fish. Why would you jump out of your home, out of your bowl where you're safe and you can breathe, you know, and just like kill yourself on the floor? And as I'm thinking through, like it's, it's humorous to me, but as I think through Christian life and I'm thinking about survival skills and being in a wilderness and I'm thinking like that fish is the total opposite. I think today as you and I try to battle sin in our own wilderness, like in our lives and there's sin around us and temptation, it's not like... People are failing because they don't have survival skills. It's because they're more like that fish. Like, they're not even just lacking in knowing how to fight sin. They're jumping out of the bowl. 
We're like Christians are literally jumping out of this place where, where God has put them and enabled them and empowered them and said, God, all the stuff that you've done for me, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in me, the word you've written to me, this gift of prayer where I can just talk to you one-on-one, I'm ignoring all of it. And I'm jumping out of that bowl. And we're exploding all over the floor of life, and we're like, why is this happening to me? How come I can't beat sin? But there's so many Christians today that, that they're not even doing battle. They're literally chasing sin, saying it's okay. Don't bother people as long as they're not hurting anybody. Like, that's not really a sin. That's just some old cultural thing the Bible talks about. And what they're doing is they're just jumping after sin into destruction. They're not even trying to survive. And my hope tonight, as we go through tonight's lesson and through the rest of the series, is that we can identify sin. We can look at it and say that for sure, 100% is in God's word, that that is sin. And Satan, you're not tempting me with it. You're not tricking me into this. I don't care who the wisest person or pastor or whoever guru out there is that tells me otherwise. Your word says this is sin, and I believe your word. And we get some survival skills tonight that help us as we're in the wilderness and we're, we're being tempted and we're going through trials and heartbreak and depression, whatever else we face, that we know how to look to Jesus and survive because Jesus has already fought the battle. Now you and I can battle with him. We have that awesome privilege. And so read with me. We're, um, we're in Matthew chapter 4. And we're looking at verses 1 to 11. And it says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I love this passage because it shows me a model I can follow. Sometimes I think of the Christian life, and I'm like, how do I do this? Like, practically, what happens next? What what am I supposed to do? And I can look at this passage and see Jesus, and he's doing it. And I'm like, I can do that. I can follow Jesus. I can do what he does in this passage because Satan, for sure, is coming after you. Tonight when you leave this place, maybe even tonight as you're sitting here, temptation's going to come. 
And in your mind or in your heart, the little whispers are going to happen and you will be tempted to sin. And so this is a constant battle in our lives. You're going to get the chance to battle even tonight. And so this is a very practical passage for us to put to use. So it says this. Let's walk through it together real quick. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. It's so cool why Jesus was able to battle. Not just because he was the Son of God, but the Son of God did something really awesome that you and I can do too. He abided in the Spirit of God. The power of the Holy Spirit that you and I also have if we believe in Jesus. It says that the Spirit abides in us. And so we have the same Spirit, and the Spirit was leading Jesus to do this. It was part of God's plan. And it's funny because like as you, as you and I like follow the Spirit, and we ask God, hey God, what do you want me to do with my life? He comes back and he's like, here's what I want you to do. And you're like, really? Are you sure? Because that's not what I pictured in my mind. That's not exactly how I expected, God. And it might look very different from Rob's plans. And God's like, but I have better plans. They're so much bigger and better than yours. Will you still follow me? Will you abide in my spirit and do what I've told you to do? Go where I've asked you to go. So he might not lead you where you expect to go, but he will definitely need, lead you where you need to be. In the perfect spot, at the right time, doing the right thing. Because God has a better plan. And so the first thing we, we can do is we can follow the Spirit. We can obey God when he calls us to do something. So Jesus did, and it says he led, leads him into the wilderness of all places. Like, not Jerusalem, it's some, like, luxury hotel where he has really good food, and it's comfortable, and he can hang out and play video games all day long. That's an awesome life, right? Or to, like, Hawaii to surf and, like, witness to people while he's surfing, which is awesome too, right? But he leads him to the wilderness. A dangerous place where there's thieves and people can kill you and steal your stuff, but if you're Jesus, you're going out there with nothing, so there's really nothing to steal, but then there's no food and there's no water, and it's, it's like people go out to die in the wilderness, And that's where God leads him, out where he's alone, in the middle of danger. And you know, it's a picture. You guys remember the Old Testament? There's people called the Israelites, and they got called out into the wilderness after they left Egypt. Remember we just studied that battle with Egypt in our epic battles series we just did? Moses is able to like part the Red Sea, and God leads them out of Egypt Well, the whole deal is that before they can go in the promised land, they mess up and they have to walk around the wilderness for 40 years and wait on God as God's like leading them and growing them. And I looked up this term wilderness in the Bible, right? I'm like, what is, why do they keep using it? Why is the wilderness a big deal? Almost every time in the Bible that the word wilderness is used, it's a picture that means that someone is searching for God. You go to the wilderness to search for God. It's a picture that you're totally, like, hopeless. Like, you can't do anything on your own. I'm out here. I got no food, God. I got no water. I got nothing. Like, people can kill me. I have no shelter. The sun will melt me to death. Like, what will I do out here? And it's, it's this position in your life where you're like, I just have to trust you. I got to lean on you, God. And so Jesus, just like the Israelites, he goes out into the wilderness in this, like, search for God. <clears throat> Which blows my mind, because he is God, right? All at the same time. It's like, And so it says, as he's out there, look what happens. To be tempted by the devil. 
So the Holy Spirit comes like, Jesus, I want you to go into the wilderness. So follow me. I'm going to take you to the wilderness. And Jesus goes. And he's like, here's why I brought you. Because you're going to be tempted by the devil. It's like, wait, this was part of your plan? Like, this didn't just happen, like, because the wilderness is a bad place and the devil lives there. Like, no, it's like God had this planned out so Jesus could model for us how to survive in the wilderness. So the Son of God could go before us and say, here's how it's done. If you believe in me now that I've died for you, the Holy Spirit will empower you to battle sin, and you can do this too. And so it says, after fasting... 40 days and 40 nights. You're like, what's fasting? We don't talk about that a lot. Some of you guys may have done the fast we did. There was like a church-wide fast last year, if you remember. And we did it for, I think it was two weeks. can't remember exactly how long it was. But it seemed like forever, right? Because I was so hungry. <laughs> but it was like this fast, and a lot of us did it together. And fasting is this way where we say, I don't need food. I'm going to refrain from like maybe just a meal a day or maybe all my meals for this amount of time to go, God, I don't need food as much as I need you. I'm showing that, like, God, I want to depend on you more than anything, even food that gives me, like, physical life. God, I need you more. And it's this way that we focus and we pray as we fast. And so Jesus came to the wilderness, and for 40 days, that's a long time, right? It's over a month. Jesus went without food, fasting. And then it says, obviously, he was hungry. (laughs) Now, I'd be hungry too. Rachel would like eat a horse after 40 days. Like I know Rachel, right? I mean like that's a long time and he he was hungry. Those seem like three very simple words. But think about the son of God was hungry. How does God get hungry? And we have this thing in scripture that shows us that we believe that Jesus was 100% God. But he blows our mind because he was also 100% percent man at the same time only God can do that and so when we see like he's hungry it shows us his humanity that he came to be one of us so he could die for our sin for the stuff that we did and so Jesus is out there he's hungry he's been fasting for 40 days and look who comes just like it was promised the tempter Satan came and said to him if you're really the son of God like immediately doubting Immediately putting that little doubt in Jesus' mind, or trying to, that he was truly the Son of God. Satan ever tried to do that to you? Does that sound familiar? Does he use that tactic? And he's like, are you real? Do you really follow Jesus? Do you really believe this church stuff? Do you really believe God created everything that exists? Satan's so good at just putting that little seed of doubt. And that's what he's trying to do to Jesus. If you're really the Son of God. It's funny because Jesus is like abiding in the Spirit, praying and fasting, and yet Satan comes along and tempts him. So in Rob Jones' mind, I think if I pray and fast and I'm abiding in the Holy Spirit, then I'm not going to get tempted because like I'm doing all the right stuff. But I think Scripture says that it doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted. As a matter of fact, It looks like you're going to be targeted because you're doing the right stuff. So immediately I'm like, God, I must not be doing this right. You know, like, what am I doing wrong? And he's like, no, you are doing it right. That's why you're being targeted. 
Because Satan sees you following me and giving me glory and praying and fasting and abiding in my spirit. And so he's all over that trying to get you to doubt me. So as you follow Jesus, expect that you will be targeted. And that temptation and sin is going to come after you. And it says this next. This is what he tells Jesus. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. Israelites, remember, they were out 40 years in the desert. How did they survive? God sent what? Manna. This, I guess it's bread. It was like fruitcake or angel loaf bread. I don't know, something, I, whatever it was. But it was, it was something breadish. And so here we see Satan kind of using that saying, hey, aren't you the same Jesus who supplied bread for the Israelites? So just turn to those stones. You've got the power, right? If you're really God, you can turn to those stones and just make it manna. Just turn it into bread and you'll be able to eat. Prove it. Prove you are who you say you are. And look what Jesus does. Here's our first example of how to deal with this. Are you ready? As we're trying to, remember last week, take all this sin that entangles us and weighs us down. We're trying to throw it aside. This is how we do it. And Jesus says, it is written. You use the truth against the lies. He uses scripture. That's why I'm asking you guys, memorize the scripture. I asked you guys last week. I think none, none of you did it maybe. <laughs> so apparently it looked like that. John got some of it now. So we're, on, we're, we're starting. Will you guys do it this week? Will you guys memorize scripture? Will you start taking parts of the Bible? And even if it's one verse a week, put it to memory and apply it to your heart and do it. It's our biggest tool to fight sin. And so Jesus says, it is written. We know this because Psalm 119, 105 says, your word, right, the Bible, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Ever try to walk down the hallway at night to find the bathroom? You trip over everything there is and step on every Lego in the house. Like, it's terrible. Imagine with the light. You can see, right, like, that's the point here. It's a very simple picture. Truth helps you find the way. Shows you where to go. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David says the way we fight sin is by knowing God's word and putting it in our hearts. That doesn't mean just like file it away. It means like mean it, embrace it, practice it, do the truth that you're memorizing. And so Jesus kind of like gives it right back to Satan. Satan gets ticked off, right? But Jesus says this verse to him. He says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know what I need more than bread even after 40 days of being hungry? I need Jesus. Like I need God. Because God's the one who puts air in my lungs. God's the one who keeps my heart beating. God's the one who's given me life and will keep me alive. I need God more than anything else, even food. If you're a believer, is that what your life looks like? Do you believe that in your heart? Could you say that when you wake up every day, you're like, God, I need you more than anything else today. Are you chasing after him or are you chasing after everything else? Jesus says the way we battle is by realizing we need God more than anything else. And I'll tell you what, today there are so many things to be distracted by. So many things to be distracted by. 
You get your license and all of a sudden you disappear. That happens. Be careful when you get your license. Because kids at Firehouse get their license, we don't see them again. We're like, hey, and then until they're like 35 and they come back, they're like, hey, I missed you for the last 20 years. How are you? You know, like, where you been? You got a license. You got distracted. You took off. You had better things to do, better places to go than be in the body of Christ and learning God's word. So be careful. That little bit of freedom. You get a boyfriend or girlfriend. That's usually one, too. You disappear. We're like, where are you? Oh, we were on a date every night this week for the last 30 years. Oh, good. Well, it's been good to see you. It's a long date. It's a lot of money, you know, like, but it seems like that. Like, there are, there are key things in our lives, and I'm just kind of being funny, but at the same time, it's true. Like, those are two big things. And they just represent something. They represent the billions of distractions you and I could have. It could be a ton of other things. But there are things in our lives that say, hey, we're, I'm more important than Jesus. Chase me. And then we forget what we need most. We need God. So Satan gets ticked off and he's like, all right, I'll try this again. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle, the very top of the temple. And he says to him again, if you are the son of God, again, he's like, prove it, man. You're not really the son of God here. Here's what he tells him to do. Throw yourself down. Jump off the peak of this temple and just throw yourself down. Basically, for you and me, that'd be suicide. It's like, just jump off the building. And it wasn't time for Jesus to lay his life down. He had come to do it. Don't get me wrong. Jesus did come to lay his life down the way Satan's saying here. But this wasn't the time, and this wasn't the plan of God. He's asking him to rush the plan. He came to die on a cross, not to jump off a temple. And he came to die for you and I to glorify God, not to obey Satan. Satan's twisting things and trying to make it seem like it's it's the right thing, and he loves to do that to you and me too. It looks so good and right and clean. It might be a good thing that he's using to distract us from following Jesus, a really good thing but it's still distracting us from Jesus. So it doesn't matter if it's a good thing or a bad thing. If it distracts us from following Christ, don't follow it. Turn back and run after Jesus. And so anyway, he's he's back. There's so much in this. It's blowing my mind that Satan could look at the Son of God and say, hey, go kill yourself. Then Jesus looks back. And just like we'd expect, he quotes scripture again. Time to, right? For it is written. Satan, you're speaking lies. It's time to tell you some truth. For it is written. And here's what the verse that he uh, quotes. He says, he will, I'm sorry, this is Satan still. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Satan uses scripture. And he says, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they'll bear you up unless you strike your foot against a stone. So what Satan does is say, oh, okay, Jesus, you're going to use scripture against me and try to use truth? Let me try that. And he quotes some, some scripture that says that the Son of God won't even stub his toe without God's approval. And he says, so throw yourself down. If you're really the Messiah, God's going to save you. He's not going to let anything happen. You won't even stub your toe. And he takes scripture the Word of God, the Bible, and he twists it. Talk about taking something that looks good or that is good 
and using it for wrong. And you know what that's so much like today? It's like walking into a church that says, you know what? People can like love whoever they want and be sexual partners with whoever they want. It doesn't matter. Wait, doesn't the Bible speak on that? Didn't the Bible say that one man and one woman come together, they leave their father and mother and become one flesh? And that it's a picture of God in his church? Or that we come and we say, you know what, swearing, it's not really that big of a deal. Or drinking and getting drunk and partying, you know, as long as you love Jesus, you can still do that. And the list goes on when you walk into these places that say, you know what, God's never going to make you suffer if you really believe in him. You'll be prosperous. You're going to be wealthy and successful. You won't even get sick if you have enough faith. We hear churches that are taking God's word and twisting, because they never read the book of Job, apparently. Right? They're twisting God's truth. And so many people are going, that's the word of God. Thank you, pastor. And they're believing a lie because he's twisted it. And so Satan's doing something similar here. He's twisting Scripture to convince Jesus to throw himself off this temple. And so Jesus, here he goes again. This is the part I was jumping to earlier because I was so excited. He says, again it is written. He goes right back to Scripture. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting the Old Testament where Moses was like out in the wilderness. Remember the wilderness? And they're out there with the Israelites and they're ticked off. They're like, Moses, we're thirsty. And we want water. And so God provides water through this rock. And it's this whole deal where they're like, they're totally upset and they're mad and they're like, God needs to prove himself. They're lacking trust that God will come through with what he promised. How many times do we get anxious waiting on God and going, where's the answer, God? And we start to lack trust. We start to doubt. Are you really who you say you are? How come you haven't done this? I'm still thirsty Get some water out of this rock. And Jesus is saying, don't test God. You know what this means is that if God said it, he's going to do it. The almighty God of the universe is able to do everything he promises you. Don't lose that faith. Because when you lose that faith, you stand no chance against sin and temptation. You have to believe that God is who he says he is, and he can do what he promised you. Period. And so Satan, uh, Jesus gives us right back to Satan with Scripture. Satan ticked off again, right? So he takes him again. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain this time. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you. Yeah, right. (laughs) You don't own them. It's not yours to give, Satan. Why would you take the Son of God who created everything that exists? He created the mountain you're standing on right now. And you're going to look at him and say, hey, you know all this stuff that you're right now holding together, every molecule, so it doesn't just disappear? I'll give it all to you. Well, thanks. You know, like, it's already mine, including you. You belong to me. I created you, remember? Like, the, just the audacity that Satan has to even try this with Jesus, to, like, inspire this pride in him. Like, I'll give you everything. And we think it's absurd, But doesn't Satan do that to you and me? He promises you stuff that isn't his to give. Hey, look at her. 
Why don't you just stare for a while? Why don't you just think for a while? Why don't you let those thoughts roll around in your head? Take what's not yours. It's not yours to give, Satan. All these other things that he promises us, these temptations that he comes up and whispers in our ears, offering us things that will make us feel good and will make us supposedly happy and all this, none of it, none of it is his to give us. It's just a straight up lie. So why do so many of us believe him? Why do so many of us chase sin like that little fish? We're jumping out of the bowl. We're not surviving here. We're just chasing after destruction. So Satan tries it with Jesus, but Jesus isn't having it. He says, Then Jesus said to him, I love this. Be gone, Satan. It's like, he looks back and says, he's like, get up out my face. <laughs> you know, Satan, like, get up out of here. I love it. I can hear it like all, he's like, I don't want to have none of this. Get out. Sometimes you and I need to just literally stand up to Satan and say, get up on my face. Like, get out of here. I don't want, I don't want this temptation. I don't want this sin. I don't want the lies that you're feeding me. We got to have the courage to stand up and say, I follow Jesus. I want Jesus more than anything, Satan. Get out of my mind right now. This temptation, take it with you. I love that Jesus just looks back at him and just tells him straight to his face, get out of here. And then he uses scripture again. I think it's important to memorize scripture. This is Jesus' battle. He's wielding the weapon of scripture every time. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve I'm not worshiping you, Satan. I'm not going to bow down to you to get what's not yours to give me. And you know why? John Piper says, you guys might not know who he is. Look him up. He's awesome. The chief end of God is his own glory. And what that means is that God wants more than anything else to be glorified. God is seeking his own glory above everything else. And you and I sometimes have a hard time hearing that. We're like, really? God sounds kind of conceited, like prideful. Like we want to put ourselves at the center of the cross, at the center of the story. Like when we think about Jesus, we're like, you do this for me. This whole story is about me. And Jesus, when he was here, said, I did this to glorify my father. When I die for you, you know what it does? It glorifies my father. And that's, that's my main objective. And we get to benefit in that. It's an awesome benefit that he loves us enough to do that so he can glorify his father, but we can't confuse the story and put ourselves at the center. Satan saying, hey, worship me is about stealing glory, and that's what you and I are guilty of so often. We want the glory. We'd rather have people applaud us and see how gifted we are than leave thinking about Jesus. Leave saying, God is so awesome. Did you hear what God did in that guy's life? We want them instead to say, look how cool Rob is. Look how talented that person is. And we're constantly trying to steal God's glory. And Jesus looks back and he's like, listen, I will only worship the Lord my God and serve him alone. And you know what happens? When you believe that, what Jesus just said, your life looks different. Does your life look like 
it worships God. That word worship's awesome. It means like to give value or weight to something. And so does your life look like God really is valuable, the most valuable thing in all of creation by the way you live? I know it's a big idea. Think about it for a second. Kind of chew on it. Just think like the way I live right now, if people were to put my life under this microscope and check it out really close, like would they see Rob Jones is living in a way that everything I do says, God is the most important thing ever. Or would they say, man, Rob loves soccer. He lives for soccer. It's like his dream and he eats and sleeps and breathes soccer, but he's a Christian and loves God too. Rob works and lives his life dedicated to getting that 4.0 and that awesome job and working at NASA or wherever else. And he's working so hard to that. And he even skips church all the time to do his homework and study for exams. And I'm not saying any of that's bad, so don't give me emails later. But when it trumps Jesus, it is bad. Send whatever email you want to send. Even school, even sports, hanging out with your friends, practicing music, whatever it is that trumps Jesus in your life, you give it more time and affection and love and and everything in you goes toward that instead of to Jesus, then yes, yeah, it's wrong. Because Jesus says, live in a way where God is the most important to you. If I look at your life, if you look at your life tonight, can you honestly say, when they look at me, when people look at me, they see me saying, it's all about God. And he's talented me to do all this cool stuff. But it's not about the stuff. And the way I'm living shows you it's not about the stuff, it's about God. And I'm doing this stuff so he gets glorified. It's a hard thing to do. Sometimes we start off that way, but slowly it's like, yeah, I use that as an excuse, but then like, it's all about my soccer, it's all about my whatever. Slowly I, I drift into that. And that's why we need to do battle. To keep it straight, every morning when we wake up, we get in the God, and we hear his truth, and we're reminded, it's about you, Jesus, not these cool things you've given me, or these cool talents. Because you know Satan's story? Satan, who was Lucifer, who, who was the bearer of God's glory... He himself drifted to say, I want the glory. And even here, as he asks Jesus to bow and worship him, we hear that in his voice. I used to be the bearer of your light. And now, I want to be better than you. I want your glory. Jesus, bow before me. And you and I are no different. We've bought that lie way back in the Garden of Eden. And today we still seek that glory. And what it takes is us saying, God, you mean everything. Help me live a life that shows you really mean everything to me. You and I have a really awesome advantage above what we read in this passage because Jesus dies on the cross after this and he's resurrected from the tomb that we just celebrated Easter, and he's alive today, and he did something cool. What we're doing tonight happened because of all that stuff Jesus did. We're part of a church. 
So we don't have to go alone into the wilderness. You and I can lock arms and go into the wilderness. Now we have this body that we're connected to. You go to a life group where you're surrounded by people and leaders who love you to say, are you in the wilderness tonight? Can we pray together? Can we fast together? Can we read God's word and figure this problem out in your life together tonight? You don't have to suffer alone. Let's lock arms and walk. Whoa, sorry, I spit everywhere. Let's lock arms. I did it again twice. Let's lock arms. I'll, I'll get this right. Let's lock arms and fight through this. You struggling with sin tonight? This thing's messing you up and keeps beating you? Let me pray with you. Let me send you texts throughout the week and meet with you and encourage you to stand up against that sin because God's given you the power now through the Holy Spirit. Use God's truth to do battle, but use it with the people around you here tonight. Raise your hand if you believe in Jesus. Those are your peeps. Those are the people you can look to and say, hey, let's do this together. Let's go through the wilderness together. Encourage me. Help me live for Jesus so my life looks like He's the most important thing. And it's really cool what happens next. So the devil leaves him. So then the devil left him. Like he kicked his butt. Satan had nothing left. He leaves. He's gone. And then it says, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. There is a real spiritual battle around you. I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face, till I die one day. I'm going to keep telling you the same thing as long as you'll listen. Even then I'll probably say it in the background. There is a spiritual battle around you. Satan is targeting you, and he's attacking you and tempting you. And right when you think you've got it all under control because you're going on mission trips and you're studying God's word and you're doing this and you're doing that, in that moment, pride kicks in and it kicks your butt. That's the moment you fail. You stay humble before Jesus. You stay in his word and you stay connected to the body and you say, let's go in the wilderness together. Jesus has given us some survival tools. We pray, we fast, we use God's word and memorize it. We apply it to our lives. And we join together as the body of Christ. And we survive the temptations and the sin. How are we going to toss every weight that weighs us down and tangles us and all that deal is by using these tools as we go into the wilderness to say, God, here's what we're saying. We need you. God, I'm searching for a deeper relationship with you. That's why I'm going through this. Let me come out of the wilderness stronger, closer to you, believing more firmly in you. That's my prayer for you guys. That's why I show up every Wednesday. My prayer is that as you interact more with God's word, you will believe more and more confidently in him. And as you're getting there, will you help others around you do it? It's not just my job. As you believe in Christ, it's your job too. Minister to the people around you. Love them, encourage them, and let's be the body of Christ together. Next week, we're going to start looking at what is sin? What are some like legit sins? What if I just come to church and I've never heard like Bible stuff before? How do I know that lying is wrong? How do I know that, that adultery is wrong? How do, I, well, how do I know what is and isn't sin? And in today's culture, it just depends on what church you walk into, unfortunately. So we're going to go to God's Word just like Jesus tells us, we're going to start looking at what sin is next week. Will you guys pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you have given us the example. God, how to battle sin, how to stay away from temptation, how to grow closer to you. 
And I guess the question is, Lord, will you help us do it? Will you cause some students tonight who are hearing this, these words to stand up and say, like, yes, that's me. I want to do that. I, I might be in a good place with God tonight, but Lord, I want to grow even more. I don't want to stop here. I don't want to plateau. I want to keep growing and be able to be equipped to walk through life in the wilderness and the trials. So Lord, will you help us? Or will you cause us to want that and to desire you more than anything else? We love you so much, Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.